You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with author and professor Dr. Stephen Mintz about ethics in the workplace. They call Dr. Mintz the ethics sage, and I can't wait to hear what sage advice, yes, I went there, he has to share with us on this very timely topic. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Dr. Mintz. Thank you for having me. We're super excited. But uh, before we get started, let's uh, do what we normally do and have you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do, who you are and what you do. Well, thank you. Uh, you mentioned I write under the name Ethics Sage, which basically <laughs> is my way of saying I've accumulated a lot of wisdom over the years, or at least I'd like to think so, with respect to ethics, having taught it at the university level for 30-plus years and consulted with some companies on ethics issues. And I just published a book on ethics that deals with Uh, happiness and meaning in life and how being an ethical person can improve your personal relationships, workplace interactions, and our lives on social media. That's great. I totally agree with that. It's it's difficult, but it always feels good to do the ethical thing, to do the right thing. Um, Before we get started, um, and as we join into our, you know, jump kind of into our topic, uh, why don't you first kind of tell us what you mean when you talk about ethical behavior in a workplace context? Well, I think we have to start with what ethics is in general, because the workplace is just one outlet for behavior. But in general, we could go back to the golden rule and how do we treat other people. Uh, Most people would agree that being kind, compassionate, fair-minded, respectful of others are good ways to act, ethical ways to act. So we start with that, and then when you put it in a workplace context, we're talking about how companies treat their employees and other stakeholders, how they make decisions, whether they consider the consequences of their actions on those who will be affected by those actions. Okay, uh, so as, you, as you're talking, I'm kind of thinking it's like it's, it's more than a moral compass, Would you agree with that or no? Well, I think you do have to have a moral compass, if for no other reason than to recognize there are ethical issues. Because if we don't recognize it, and that's part of the problem, I think, today, not only in the workplace but society, do people recognize they even have an ethical issue, which, again, we could say is, sure, your actions and decisions affect others, so how you treat them 
is an ethical issue. But a lot of ethics is common sense as well. I mean, we shouldn't shout at people in the workplace because we have a difference of opinion. We should be able to discuss our differences openly with civility. Of course, this is something that's a problem in society in general today. Oh, I agree. I do uh, civility training, and, and it's near and dear to my heart, that topic as well. And, and I, I, I really agree. It is common sense, but it's funny how many times we need to be reminded about, you know, about the basic sort of things. And I always teach in my um, anti-harassment trainings that one way to combat unethical behavior or harassing retaliatory discriminatory conduct is to impart to employees to train, to teach on the power of ethical behavior and how you can stem those behaviors by creating a more ethical workplace. Um, in, in that regard, let's, let's jump into it. How, how do you think, well, I'm curious about this. Do you think that you can teach ethics to an organization? I, I say that because I, I, I do. I think that through their employees, you can, but I'm talking about the structure, the, the entity that is the organization. Do you, do you think you can teach ethics to the, the structural organization? Well, I always get those questions from students. They, some of them don't believe I could teach ethics to them, so, <laughs> you know. And I say, look, I could teach it. Whether you'll learn it or not is another issue. Absolutely. So you can certainly teach it at the organizational level, but you have to have an open-minded leadership that they want to learn these things, evaluate their own behavior and systems, and be open to changing, to have a more ethical organization, because they are, after all, the leaders, and the workers are going to take their cue from what the leaders do and say. Yeah, I agree with that. We've talked about that on, on a, a lot of our shows uh, with regard to employee engagement and corporate culture and all that kind of stuff, and I think that ethic just, ethics just sort of rounds itself sort of into that. Um, right. It, it, how, do you, how have you found that organizations sort of come to the realization in your experience? Have you had an experience, I guess, where organizations have sort of come to the realization that, hey, I think we have an issue that needs to be addressed? Um, what are those beyond the, beyond the obvious, you know, they're being sued for <laughs> yeah. unethical behavior, but on a, on a more, you know, sort of everyday average situation? Have you, have you come across any scenarios like that? Sure. It's usually when organizations have systems in place for employees to report things that they think are unethical, something going wrong in the company. You mentioned sexual harassment. That's certainly a good example of it. And employees have to feel that they won't be retaliated against for making these assertions, whether it's sexual harassment or financial statement fraud. So what employees tend to look for is what we call an ethical tone at the top, meaning a culture is set that the company takes this seriously. And they can set that tone simply through policies, simply by acting the way they're asking the employees to act, you know, it's not do what I say, not what I do, not that kind of a culture. Mm -hmm. So it's, 
know, it's measuring an ethical culture is how do you do business rather than what you do in business. So how you do it says a lot about your ethical standards. And absolutely, companies can come to that realization, but it usually means they have uh, ethical leaders at the top. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, you and I, I think, ascribe to sort of the same philosophy that it's really, ethics really comes down to kind of what you do when nobody's watching. Um, right. And I think that even though for organizations, they think people are always watching, but I don't think that's the case. Do you? No, I think people in organizations tend to think, uh, unfortunately, that they can get away with things because people are not watching or what their behavior is, the actions they take are not going to get become known. Of course, these days with social media, um, the 24-7 cycle and the digital media, most things do eventually get uncovered. But maybe companies haven't come to that realization yet, but that's when they get into trouble. And that's, of course... Uh, something that they have to prevent. It's just a matter of sending a message that ethical behavior will be rewarded. Unethical behavior will not be rewarded, may be punished for it. Now, how you do that, it's an example of the devil is in the details, but it can be done through performance evaluation, just incorporating an ethical measure, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, I like that idea about... um uh, about sort of creating an atmosphere that really makes it easy to do the right thing and kind of difficult to do the wrong thing. I think that's that's kind of what you're saying as well. And exactly. I like that because it it really does make it easier so that when someone if you can create that that environment that it really does create this this idea that when someone does behave in an unethical manner, they sort of stand out from the crowd and mm-hmm. it you know makes it easy to kind of shine a light on that person and say, "Okay, Here's our issue, and we need to address it. So, Right. Employees tend to act the way they think they will be rewarded, whether if it's producing a large amount of sales, market share, or being ethical. So just have to put ethics on that same level as other top priorities. Yeah, because the flip side of that, right, is that those very same things, the desire for reward, the desire for recognition, that that's also a gateway or an alleyway towards unethical behavior, don't you think? Well, it can be. And, and the one thing I always am reluctant to say about reward ethical behavior is we should be ethical because it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. Because it makes us feel good yeah. about what we've done. We've helped somebody. Uh, we've, we've, we've done things that have produced positive results for the company and unethical behavior generally doesn't. If not in the short term, it will in the long term tend to catch up with you. So, yeah, I think that's very important. I, I read this survey that, that said that companies, that when a company sort of values ethical performance, uh, that misconduct is lowered, which I, as I've already said, I kind of ascribe to that because I think that's a way to get rid of unwanted uh, risk sort of behaviors. But I think the survey was something like, Twenty percent of the workers, you know, had reported seeing misconduct in companies uh, with strong ethical cultures, compared to eighty-eight percent who witnessed wrongdoing in companies with ethically weak cultures. Um, with that kind of in mind, what do you see as some of the more common ethical danger zones from a company perspective? 
Uh, well, there's, there's quite a few of them. It's the tone at the top that I mentioned before, it, that top management is always sending this message about ethical behavior. Companies need to stress uh, sort of what I would call stakeholder capitalism rather than shareholder capitalism, which is the traditional notion to maximize profits. If employees see that companies care about a broader group of stakeholders, including, of course, themselves, their own well-being, that they're treated fairly, but also customers, customer comes first, that sort of mentality, uh, even in dealing with suppliers and other stakeholders, that tends to give a lot of confidence of employees that the company is serious about ethical behavior, and uh, we're going to take our cue from that. Um, companies have to avoid basically what I would say is rationalizing unethical behavior. That happens a lot, especially in the field that I grew up in, which is accounting and financial reporting, where they put pressure on an employee to go along with financial wrongdoing, and they basically say, look, this is a one-time request. Just go along this first time, this one time. We won't ask you to do it again. Well, rarely does it work that way because once you go along with wrongdoing, you start to slide down the proverbial ethical slippery slope where it becomes more difficult to turn around and, let's say, reclaim the moral high ground. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are, time is going fast. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more thoughts from Dr. Minst on ethical behavior in the workplace. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm more resourceful than I thought. My suit can still make an impression. My video games are still game changers. And my lamp can bring others a bright future. Because when I donate my stuff to Goodwill, it helps fund job placement and training for people right in my community. Now my stuff gets a second chance. And will give someone in my community a second chance too. Goodwill. Donate stuff. Create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. That's Goodwill.org. This message brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us. Like us. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It sure means a lot to us, and it ensures that more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking about ethical behavior in the workplace with author and professor Dr. Stephen Mintz. So, Dr. Mintz, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the challenges that employees face when it comes to ethical behavior in the workplace. Um, start out by telling me, if, if you can, what your experience has been as some of the more difficult scenarios involving employees that you've uncovered or, or, or been exposed to over the years. Uh, the one that I would say that stands out the most is when their superior does something wrong and they struggle over how to report it. Nobody wants to tattletale on their superior. We like to think we're loyal. And employees worry about what's going to happen to them. There's an expression, kill the messenger. Yeah. So the employee is the messenger. Hey, look, this person stole money from the company or is padding his or her expense account and being reimbursed for non-employee expenses should I report it to the head of accounting or whoever? 
there's real fear there that they will suffer the consequences. I, I get a lot of emails from employees who send me confidential questions, and I try to help them, and that's clearly number one. And, of course, companies have to say that they want these things to be reported. They want to take action. They don't want somebody stealing from them in a position of trust. Maybe they set up an anonymous hotline. That oftentimes works with whistleblowing in general. So it's the retaliation factor. Um, Another thing that I, I hear from time to time is employees or an employee group will complete a project. They'll do some work. They'll hand a report to their superior who they are doing the work for, and he or she will take credit oh, for the employee's work. That's so terrible, I hear. I hate that. Yeah, they, they hate that. They, uh, they're, they're beside themselves. They don't know what to do. They just know it's wrong. But there again, if you have a superior who does these sort of things, you're going to say to yourself, what will he or she do if I report them? So, again, it comes back to the company culture and wanting these things to be reported so corrective action can be taken. Uh, the other item I'd mention is there's a lot of confusion out there for employees about what are the rules of the road with social media. Can they use social media at work? When can they use it? Uh, what can an employer do to monitor their behavior and their activities? Uh, the, the rules really have not caught up with this technology, and some companies have no social media policies or established social media uh, ethics. So they're, they're confused. They just don't know what can and cannot be done. So that's uh, about the third one, I would say, that I hear the most of. Yeah, the, the social media is interesting. So I've been litigating or litigating during my career when it was sort of the advent of social media and, and it becoming such a big part of the workplace. And it really was confusing for everyone, both the employers and the employees, because you're right, nobody knew what was going on. The technology far outweighed everybody's getting up to speed on it. Um, I, I do think it's getting better. It's getting easier. Um, everybody's becoming a little more comfortable with it and, and the boundaries are getting a little more defined like anything, there's been enough litigation now that, <laughs> that yeah. people are kind of starting to get a, a handle on it. But um, it, the confusion and the and the fear of retaliation, I hear that a lot because um, right. I get calls from employees asking about what do I do. Like like you said, the the moral wrong of somebody took credit for my work, and then of course the more serious allegations where there's actually been an implication of fraud or something. Um, where they feel this tremendous need to step forward, and yet there's that fear. So I thought it was interesting when you were talking in the beginning about um, ethics in general, about being kind, you know, that it took being kind and all these other things. And I thought, you know what it takes? It takes being strong. That's true. Because it takes a lot to, you know, to really face. I mean, it's, it's easy for us to talk about, but boy, when you're in that situation, it's really tough right. to, to right. sort of stand up. Tell me, in your opinion, what do you think employees can do to help improve the standards of ethics at their organization beyond um, beyond the you know alerting and, and using the hotlines and those sorts of things? But what can they? What's in their control? You think? Uh, do you think that they can they can actually help to make a positive impact? 
I always tell them to find somebody at work who they really respect and can go to for advice because it's it's always a good thing to run your ideas by somebody before you take an action or report something. Now, that may be easier said than done, <laughs> but, you know, a lot of organizations do have people who can advise on actions. It may be formal or informal. So that's, that's very important. I think of all the things that I, I say to employees is to remember this one thing, which is it takes a long time to build a reputation for trust, but not very long to destroy it. Absolutely. I mean, all we have to think of is people like Harvey Weinstein, yeah. Bernie Madoff, Lance Armstrong. There are so many examples of people who are at the top of their game, and then something came out that was, of course, terrible, and, you know, they destroy their reputation. They're never the same again. They're never viewed the same by society. Right, right. So ethics is a long-term commitment. Sure, I may be able to do something, get away with it, maybe even profit. But in the long run, even if it doesn't come out, uh, what am I going to do, continue to go down this road? What if somebody does find out and then they question me? Uh, my whole reputation is gone. Trust is essential in business. If you can't trust employees to do the right thing, then you can't trust them to do anything. Yeah, I always talk about that in my in my ethics trainings, the fact that, you know, while in your personal life, you may not really care what people think of you, which is great if you can get to that point. But in business, you have to care. It matters what people think of you. If you want to if you want to get ahead, um, you know, if you want to have a good reputation, then it really does matter. And I think ethics plays a huge, a huge part of that. Credibility is everything. You know, your word really is your bond, as kind of corny as it sounds, but yeah. <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> it is true. Where do you think, can you pinpoint a time where you think that ethics really started to sort of become an awareness issue for organizations and employees alike? Oh, gee, that's a great question. Um, it's so hard. I think a lot of people feel it's a relatively new phenomenon. I don't agree with that. I think we've been losing our moral compass over a long period of time now. Um, we could go back to the fact that ethics is, for the most part, it's not taught in schools anymore. Kids in the younger grades where they're most impressionable, they're not getting it. That's partly because teachers don't want to feel like they're moralizing. They may be afraid of what they say. It may be taken the wrong way or a parent complains that somehow it's religious instruction. Mm -hmm. And talking about religious instruction, most people are not as religious today as they were, so they're not getting it at school. They're not getting it through religious practices probably not being talked about at home. There are very few role models around these days. I remember when I grew up, there were a lot. It was even on TV. A lot of those old shows always had an ethical message. Right, right. from the truth today. So I think that's been the evolution of the culture, that it's just been devalued over time. And we sort of normalized 
unethical behavior, um, incivility has become normalized. How many times we see that on TV, cable news, wherever you want to look. So there are no positive examples, or very few, of why ethics is important, why an individual or an organization should be ethical, except, as you say, after they've done the deed. And they're having to, you know, pay the price, and all of a sudden, ethics is important, let's develop a code of ethics, let's do this, let's do that. You have to be proactive with ethics, not reactive, to get the positive result. Yeah, I, I agree with with all that. It's it's such an interesting. It's I love this topic. It's it's we could go on and on, but as we wrap up for today, can you sort of give us maybe some tips, a cautionary tale, some words of wisdom, or maybe your thoughts for the future on on this idea of ethics in the workplace? Uh, sure, sure. I, I I think one thing I always tell um, students, employees. Think before you act. Always have it in the back of your mind that you should live by the mantra, do no harm, harm nobody by your actions. This is all one of three things. So this is thinking before acting, doing no harm, and considering the consequences of your decision. So I even tell my students and employees, let's say you've just had a negative encounter with somebody in the workplace. You want to set off, you know, you want to go to your computer, go to social media, send off this uh, insulting tweet. Oh, it's going it's it to feel so good, though. I know. <laughs> That's exactly my point. So I tell them to send that tweet to themselves in an email communication, ah. sleep on it overnight, and then if you feel the same way, go ahead and do it. But a lot of people, they change their mind because cooler heads will prevail. I love it because most of the time they tell you, oh, you know, type it up and leave it. But what you're saying is you get that great satisfaction of hitting the send button, which is really <laughs> what you want to do, but you're sending it to yourself. So that's that's awesome. I love that. I love that piece of yeah. advice. Well, that's our show for today. And Dr. Mintz, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your insights and your sage, sage advice on ethics. We really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. If you want to learn more about Professor Mintz and his new book, Unhappiness and Meaning, Transforming Your Life Through Ethical Behavior, That's it. you can find information on Dr. Mintz at his, on his website at stephenmintzethics.com. You can also connect to Dr. Mintz via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast and clicking on episode 31. Dr. Mintz, uh, let me just spell out that last name because I don't want anybody to, to not be able to find you. It's S-T-E-V-E-N. M-I-N-T-Z-Ethics.com. I want to also thank our listeners. Thank you. I want to also thank our listeners, My Radio Angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives Team Extraordinaire, Engineer and Producer Paul Roberts, our Associate Producer Michelle Hardy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar. (laughs) 